0: And now we're talking about the seventh component of the armor. And the seventh is the one that's most multifaceted. It is the weapon of prayer. And there there are at least six different kinds of prayer, actually seven, if we count praying in the Spirit. And I want to read to you Ephesians 6.18 from the Goodspeed Translation. Use every kind of prayer and entreaty, and at every opportunity, pray in the Spirit. So we're to, to identify those different kinds of prayer. Uh, just like the Roman soldier had many different kinds of spears, depending on the threat that he may have faced, uh, he had to pick the appropriate type of weapon. Same thing is true with us. We have to use the appropriate type of prayer for whatever it is that we're facing. And we'll go through these and help you to wrap your mind around them. Now, I want to go, first of all, through the different kinds of spears that the Roman soldier had at his disposal First one would be a pilum, P-I-L-U-M. And it was made to be thrown and it had a very hard wood shaft made out of ash. It's what we make baseball bats out of. And, uh, but the the length of the spear was not fully wood. It wasn't like a long, long wooden shaft and a tiny little iron point. It had a long, long iron point. And the purpose of this this, this iron tip, was uh, hollow and it had a hardened pyramid shaped point. So it's hard on this very end, very soft in the middle. And then you get to the hard ash. And so that wouldn't bend, but when you would throw it, it would stick into an enemy's shield. He would obviously stick up his shield to receive the spear thrust. And what would happen is when the spear would hit, the weight of this heavy iron shaft would bend the iron, and now you've got this big, heavy, crooked appendage on the front of your shield. And what it did is it rendered the shield of the enemy totally and completely useless. And so it was a very effective weapon. Now, another reason that this was used is because once that spear was thrown and it stuck into the shield and bent, even if an enemy soldier could pull this spear out of his shield, now because it's crooked, he couldn't throw it back. It couldn't be reused again. It had to be straightened after the battle and it couldn't be reused again during the time of conflict. And so that was an ingenious weapon. Another type of spear, was not meant to be thrown. Now this one was a thrusting weapon, and it could be utilized over and over again, unlike the pilum, which had one throw and it served its purpose, but this one was one that a soldier held on to, and very often he would stick it out of his shield, and some of the Roman shields actually had holes in them for these spears to be put through so they could walk with a shield, and then there is this shield or the spear sticking through them, and uh, it could be utilized over and over again. It's heavier, uh, it's not aerodynamic, it's not made to be thrown, it's, it's a clumsy weapon when it's thrown, but it is great for jabbing and, and, and sticking, and so this was another particular type of spear. Here's yet another one. It would be a big pike, and a pike would uh, not be what you would think of, a, it's more of a pole, and it's very, very thick and made out of very hard wood, and it was given to certain infantry troops who would be at the front of the lines where that they would be called upon to resist a cavalry charge. And this would make a charging horse soldier think twice about running into this line Because these soldiers would take these cleats that they had, the the spikes that they had in their boots, plant them solidly in the ground and put the pike into the ground with the foot anchoring it and hold it at a 35 to 45 degree angle. So when a horse rode in, he was completely impaled on this pike and it would stop a cavalry charge. It made the cavalry think twice about trying to overrun a group of infantry soldiers. Uh, that that would be a very difficult thing to do. And uh, uh, my dad was a professional rodeo cowboy. My dad did some stunt work in, in Hollywood after he quit rodeoing. And, and one of the stunts that I saw him and a number of other stuntmen do is they actually rode their horses through the wall of a burning barn this was in a naughty murphy movie and uh, i asked dad about that later on when i started making uh, episodes of bill gunner u.s Marshal, and we did some stunt uh, stuff with horses i said dad how did you do that because horses don't normally like to run into anything that they can't see through and uh, he he said they were specially trained for that but he said the wall was very quickly made to break away so it didn't take much Horses do not want to run over a man. They will try to avoid a man. Now, the police horses that are used for crowd control, they actually have to train those horses so that they will physically connect with a uh, human on foot, normally, a horse doesn't want to do that. Uh, another thing my dad said is that when you uh, ride a, a, a bareback horse or saddle on horse and get bucked off, he said typically the horse will try to miss you, he doesn't want to step on you. he wants to put his foot on something solid. He said, bulls, on the other hand, will do anything in their power to get a hoof into you. And so I thought that was interesting that this pike was used to fight against a horse that had been trained to run over men. But if he's penetrated or impaled, it just uh, completely stops him. Uh, Roman cavalry had to use a long lance, which could be used against foot soldiers or other mounted enemies. It would be roughly 16 feet long. This is one of the things I find interesting, that this was picked up by the Spaniards. The Spaniards brought this weapon, this lengthy spear, 16 foot spear, into use for their cavalry. So when the Spanish came to the New World, under Coronado, Cortez, different ones, they used these long, long lances. Well, the tribe of Indians that uh, most emulated the Spanish cavalry uh, soldiers were the Comanches. Uh, Because they were in the Southwest, they picked up some of the uses of Spanish weapons. And one thing that they brought into their arsenal, you don't see it in the Northern tribes like the Sioux or the Cheyenne, you see it with Comanches. They had a 16-foot lance that they used to fight from horseback. And they used it for for spearing buffalo. It was a very, very long lance. Wasn't made for throwing, I guess you could, but they used it for jabbing and uh, they were very effective with it. So they learned it from the Spanish who in turn had gotten it from the Romans. So here it is brought into the new world uh, hundreds of years later, and it's the same weapon. Then there was an aerodynamic javelin, one that was meant to be hurled over a distance. And so that's yet another kind of spear. It's not meant to be uh, uh, held. Uh, it is made for flight. And uh, uh, I, I have a, a bow and I was shooting my bow and I had a hard time uh, with uh, my arrows were, were flying uh, funny. And uh, I, I went into the sports, sporting goods store and was talking with uh, the guys at the desk about the troubles having my arrows. And they said, we're going to give you a new arrow and they gave me a front-loaded arrow, and these arrows were super heavy in the front and light in the back, and when I fired them out of my boat, boom, it was amazing to me how much more stable they were. They were aerodynamic, and these spears that were hurled, these javelins, were made for being thrown, which means they were probably front-loaded, a little heavier in the front than they were in the back, and therefore, they flew better when they were thrown. And so, these are some of the types of Roman spears. Now, they're all pictures of the different kinds of prayer that we pray. So the first prayer that we're going to cover is a prayer that we enter our covenant with God. It is the prayer of consecration. And the prayer of consecration is shown in two great Bible stories, And it always comes at the beginning. Usually it's the beginning of something new. This is when someone is about to do something they've never done before. And so here is Jacob. after he has had a vision of angels going up from the earth and coming back down to him at uh, Bethel. And the Bible says in Genesis twenty-eight twenty, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat, clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I've set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give the 10th to you. You know what this is? It's a prayer of consecration. Basically, he's saying, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. If you will take care of me, I'm going to give my life to you. Uh, A little bit of bargaining going on there, but but it nonetheless is a prayer of consecration. Here's another one, even better. This is uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 11. And this is Hannah. She is praying to God for a son. And verse 11, she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor." shall come upon his head. Now let's skip down to verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning, they worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him, from the Lord. So this is the prayer of consecration. She prayed the prayer of consecration. She said, "I'll dedicate this son to you, to your kingdom, to your purpose. If you give me a son." And so that's uh, the beginning of a, a of a relationship. In other words, this is the beginning of her childbearing. She had several children after that, but Samuel was the first one. You have Jacob beginning his walk with God. And consecration is most often prayed at the beginning, where we realize that we have a purpose, we have a mission and uh, we uh, are going to commit ourselves especially to God. That is the prayer of consecration. Here's the best example yet. It's Matthew 26, 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's prayer of consecration, Jesus prayed it. So there are times when we enter into a, a, a time with God, where we make a full surrender to something or another, it could be uh, you know the, you you really fully surrendering to the will of God in your life. You maybe have not really paid much attention to God's plan for your life. And you say, you know, from now on, I'm going to be very sensitive to what God's will is for me. I'm going to live according to His purpose, and you pray a prayer to that end. That's prayer of consecration. And there's a time for that prayer and, uh, or, or you take and, and you pray over a new project. Uh, we see that a number of the early fathers of America, uh, the pilgrims on the Mayflower, uh, we see, uh, uh, this prayer prayed at Jamestown. When the, the colonists first landed, they dedicated the land to God. They consecrated what they were doing to the Lord. They said, let this nation be used for your glory. That's prayer of consecration. Uh, people do it with businesses. They do it with, uh, it really is a, it's a baby dedication prayer. So we see it a lot in scripture and in real life. And so it's a very important prayer to be prayed. Well, that's all the time I have for today, but we'll pick this up again. So I'll see you next time on the Faith Rich Podcast. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.